Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. ...is where we are going to be today. Uh, as we end up our series on, on being multi-ethnic, being intentionally multi-ethnic as a church. It's always a little bit dangerous to do series, uh, to be honest with you, because the idea can be, uh, okay, we got it. We, we, now we understand, as if, as if somehow uh, the knowledge that has been imparted, you fully implement. And that's just not true in our lives. Uh, and, and so we want to continue, uh, and we will see the emphasis throughout the text uh, in the days to come, and continue to talk about this. But here's what's interesting. Um, uh, so I told you, uh, coming back from last summer, I, w- I was praying for a very specific thing uh, uh, during my vacation, and uh, the Lord just led me in a totally different direction and told me uh, that we needed to uh, really emphasize being intentionally multi-ethnic at River Valley. And, uh, and so I came back and I told you that, and, I, and basically I was like, and you know, you, the, the question is, okay, what are we going to do? And you're like, I, I don't know. I, I just know that that's what Jesus told me. And so began to study that, began to look at that. And uh, through the fall, and then preaching about it right now. And so, one of the most interesting uh, phenomena from that is I wanted to make sure our theology was right and, and our, the way that we interacted with the world, the way that we interacted with, with thoughts and how we were raised, those type of things that really were biblical. And so, I've been amazed uh, at how much God has done just during this time, how much uh, we have seen God grow us uh, in really and truly being multi ethnic. And I'm so, so thankful for that. Um, also, uh, one of the things that's been interesting, people that know me well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a motivator. Like, like I, I am not a get in your face uh, type of person that, you know, you've, you've had preachers like that, that you're just like, hit me again. All right. That's just not me. All right. It really isn't. But, but in, in saying some of these things, I've had to confront uh, some ways that, that, you know, we, we've been raised or that we've been taught that are simply unbiblical and, and uh, that's uncomfortable. Uh, uh, I try to do it with the authority of the word of God. And so people have come to me afterwards and be like, Hey, what, what, what was the feedback you got? What did people say about that? Let me tell you what River Valley has said about that. They have been unbelievably, overwhelmingly thankful and positive. We really and truly want the Word of God as the authority in our life, and it is making a world of difference. And so thank you guys. I'm, I'm so excited about the future. And so today we're going to answer, okay, what do we do from here? What's our plan? How are we moving forward uh, as we do this? Because it's not just a sermon series. It's, it's this is who we are going forward. We are a multi-ethnic church, and we are going to continue to reach people uh, throughout our community. So John chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Uh, and uh, keep your Bibles open because we've got, I think, 40, 40 verses. We're going to do them in sections. And so John chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse one. So Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So he left Judea and he went to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. 
A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so stop right there. Uh, where we get the idea of multi-ethnicity in this verse is that Jesus is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew, and he's going to now encounter someone from Samaria. Samaria's, uh, Samaritans uh, would have lived in the region of the Jews. I'm going to show you a picture in just a second. Uh, but they would have often intermarried. And, and by intermarriage, I don't mean uh, within racial. I'm, I'm talking about within different religions. And so Jesus, very specific, do not marry outside of the Christian faith. So some of these people would have done that, and it would have, uh, it, they, they did things differently is, is basically what you're going to see unfold here. And so because of that, the, the Jews simply did not associate with them. That's a, that's a really nice way of saying uh, they hated them. Uh, they, I mean, they did not uh, hang out. They did not play. They did not do anything together. In fact, let me show you how far they took this. Let me show you a map of where Jesus is going. So, so Jesus is going, is, is uh, in the area of Jerusalem. Uh, so he's got to go north. And so I want you to see the three routes that he could have taken. The middle one you see right there, there's a town called Samaria. It's also the area where the Samaritans live. So, so Jews got th have three choices to get there. Now think about this. This is, this is feet travel in those days. You want to go the shortest route. You also, when you talk about this area of the world, it is very, very mountainous in part or hilly in parts. Uh, and, and so you want the shortest route, but you also want the easiest route. So by far, the shortest and easiest route was straight up the middle on, in this white path. That was by far the easiest route. Route, but no one that was a Jew took it. No one. They instead either went to the the second easiest route was the red route, where they went over to the side. They went to the east and then went up north by crossing the Jordan River. There were times where they couldn't cross the Jordan River because it was at flood stage. So then they would take the blue route, which was by far uh, the most up and down and hilly and also dangerous route because it gets close uh, to where you would have had a few enemies. And so they would have taken that route. And so what I want you to see by that is, is what, what does the Bible say? Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? Because he chose to. He chose to interact with people that were different than him. He chose to not avoid interactions uh, with people who were raised different or looked different. He chose willingly to go through their land. And this was unbelievable in that day. And then he chose to interact with this woman. And she says, what are you doing talking to me? For Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And then we'll find in verse 27, the disciples are amazed that he's talking to a woman. Jewish men didn't talk to, to uh, women. And so uh, they, they literally thought of them as lower standing. And so what I want you to see from this from the very beginning is that Jesus is putting himself in the culture and the context to run across people that are different than him. 
Jesus wants to get his message out into the world. He's going to do a fantastic job here in a second. But he has to first interact. He has to first put himself in situations that are different uh, from the normal. He spoke to people who were vastly, vastly different and who through most of his people didn't want to interact with. If you and I are ever going to be a multicultural church, then you and I must be multicultural people. We must really and truly go out of our way to meet people that are different than us, that, um, that maybe uh, uh, didn't grow up like us and learn from them and befriend them. We're going to see ex- explicitly how to do that. But I want you to see that he, he truly, truly uh, broke the mold. So verse 10. All right. So Jesus sitting with there and Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Jesus said, go and call your husband, he told her, and came back and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. It just got awkward. All right. I mean, you know, we went, we went from water to sin real quick. And uh, so I love this woman's answer. Sir, the woman replied, I can see that you're a prophet. So let's talk about something else. Verse 20. Uh, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, I am the one who is speaking to you. I am he. Then Jesus, uh, just then his disciples arrived, arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, uh, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left the jar, her water jar, went to town, told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said to them, don't say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes, look at the fields because you are, they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and I have 
and you have benefited from their labor. So I want us to look at, at this interaction. Uh, my parents had a, a pastor growing up that was a, a fairly famous uh, man in Texas, in Texas uh, Christian life. And uh, he had a famous saying, he used to say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And, uh, what, and so we, we can get off track really, really quickly when we talk about uh, even being a multi-ethnic church. Like that's the ultimate goal. Now the main thing is that every man and woman and boy and girl know Jesus Christ as Lord. We want the main thing to be people knowing Christ, to make sure that those who are in our community know Jesus Christ as Lord. And we don't want to get sidetracked along the way. I love how she tries to defer this for just a second, because listen, you, you're not ready to get saved if you think you have no sins, and you're not ready, and you know, and you can't get saved until you confront those sins, and Jesus confronts this woman's sins. I mean, he's like, hey, you're, you're kind of a floozy. Uh, that's what he says. I mean, he's like, look, you, you've got five husbands. Now you're on number six, and I love how she's like, well, what about worship songs? Where should we go for that? You, you know, like, I mean, that would be like someone confronting you, and you'd be like, well, what's the right way to worship? Should we have guitar? Should we have organs? Well, what does it matter? Uh, and that's what she's done. I mean, she's directing away from that. We've got to be careful. There's a million things, a million things that could distract us. There's a million things that could divide us, even in this room. The one thing that can keep us focused and central is our life is that we are about reaching, helping, and connecting people to Jesus. You and I share a common bond in that we share a common vision that we are here to reach people, to reach literally the people of the community in which we live. And we are here to do that. And the moment that we get distracted by anything else is the moment that we're off task. So what? how do we keep the main thing? Well, the two things... Um, that I told you at the very beginning, uh, the, the two first rules of how we interact in this are so important. I want to go back to them because this is actually the text uh, that I got them from. So, so rules of engagement with the people around us. Number one is the Bible is the authority. The Bible is the authority. Jesus said in verse 21, he said, believe me, believe me. Listen, we truly honestly believe that this is God speaking. This is the word of God. This is the most important uh, 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 moment in our services, the reading of the word and the praying over it. This is the word of God. And Jesus is saying, believe me, I'm speaking to that. And when we read his words, we are hearing God speak. The Bible is the authority. We are going to have so many people in days to come say, I am the authority, or this is the authority. No, what the word of God says is how we are going to live our lives, is what we are going to choose to base our actions and our thoughts and our words and our deeds around. This is the word of God. And we will put all cultural preferences below this. I mean, obviously, some people are going to come to our church and they're not going to like some elements because they don't like those things. Some people don't like, they like to dress up. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I'm like, people, I mean, when, when, when I go to the office and I've got a shirt with a button on, my son goes, ooh, important meeting today. All right? <laughs> You're like, yeah. And if I've got like a, an actual button-up shirt all the way down, he's like, ooh, you must be going to the bank and asking for money. Uh, I mean, that's the only reason, right? Uh, and, and, and so that's fine. Some people like different types of music. That's fine. But those are cultural preferences. What we have is that we have the authority is the word of God and everything else must be subject to that. 
The authority is the word of God, not anything, anything else. So uh, Christian principles always are more important than cultural differences. They're always more important. You and I can get along fabulously when we choose that as our example. Secondly, the, the second rule is that Jesus is the answer. This woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. She's, she's a worshiper. She is truly looking for God. And Jesus says, I am he. Jesus is the answer. The way that we are going to get along and the way that we are going to be unified in the word of God and what we do as a church is that we make Jesus the answer. You know what you need? Actually, you know who you need? Jesus. Jesus. And when you find him, he radically changes your life. He radically changes who you are. He is the one. And uh, we become one in Christ, even though we're not the same. And we become one in Christ, even though we're not the same. So, so those are the two rules. And we will focus there, and it'll truly, truly change us. Now, here's what's exciting in verse 35 about the main thing. He says, Look, there, you don't say there are four more months and here comes the harvest. Listen, open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. And so what we find is, it's a word picture. It's really cool if you can picture it in your mind. Picture being out in a place where the, the area that they are in, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Israel, but sometimes you, uh, the, the southern part where he's come from is, is very rocky, very deserty. Is that a word, deserty? Uh, yeah, you know, so it's, it's, all right, so it's desert. But the area that he's in is very, very, it's rolling hills, it's lush green, it is really, really beautiful. And so he says, look, and you look at this field, and it's not, and don't say, well, this field can be harvested in four months, because look, and all of a sudden, picture all of these people coming from the town to this well over this hill, and you just see all of these people, and he's saying, look, the harvest is ready. Look at all of these people that are coming to hear about me because of my interaction with this one woman. And he's saying, that's not our harvest. The people are our harvest. And so it's actually a timing thing that if you could have seen it in that day, you'd be like, oh. And so all of these people, look at this harvest. Look at these this people. And that's happening with us uh, in Bastrop as a whole. I mean, we, we, we laugh a long time at, at, uh, in Bastrop is that all I've heard, so we've lived here now, we're going, uh, we're almost at 15 years. All I've heard from people who have lived here for a long time are two things. Number one, you know, it's just getting so big. Everyone's moving here. And number two, when's Target coming? Uh, that, that's, I mean, that's, ex that's all you ever hear. You, you know, you're like, I want to Target, but I want to be the only, only shopper there, evidently. But it is, it's happening, isn't it? It is, I mean, it is unbelievable uh, the amount uh, of growth. Uh, so sometimes I tend, my wife's, uh my wife works for a realty group, and I attend with them. They're, they're all, uh, all people in our church, and it's pretty cool. And uh, you, we, well, some, you hear all these statistics of how many people are moving here. It's unbelievable. It's so crazy. And somebody's got to reach those people. I think it should be us. I really do. I think we should look to the harvest and go, look, 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 look. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to go after a few. We want to go look at them. And as they come over the hill, say, we're, we're going to reach as many as we can. We want to look to the harvest for it is ready. And so um, this isn't a, a, a new vision for River Valley. 
uh, you don't want to go to the church that every time you go, like every, you know, the pastor been to a conference, like, all right, scrap the old stuff. Here we go with the new stuff. All right. So you don't want that. All right. You want a continued vision. And I guarantee you, there's some people in this room who've been with us for, for over a decade and they will have heard me talk about this over and over again. In fact, you're like, okay, here it goes. We've got to reach people, the reach people speech. Uh, all right. Because it is, it is huge. It's so much in our DNA to reach people and to help them come to find faith in Jesus Christ. And I love it. And so, so this isn't a new vision, but it is an expanded vision. It is an expanded vision that we're going to intentionally be multi-ethnic in reaching people along the way. And so uh, what, what's really interesting about that is that it works across the spectrum. It works across the spectrum. In other words, uh, when we preach the gospel and we do church the way we do it, it's not like it's, it's custom built for one group of people. It's custom built for people who are moving to Bastrop. It truly, truly is. And the gospel is so multi-ethnic and multicultural in how it works. My favorite example of that is the Second Great Awakening uh, in America. The Second Great Awakening happened after the First Great Awakening in America. And so the First Great Awakening is the one we know the most about. Uh, but the Second Great Awakening is by far more interesting. So about 1797, uh, a group of people in Kentucky started praying for revival. Now, at this time in America, history, Kentucky is the frontier. And I mean, by frontier, I mean Wild West, not like you see in Westerns, but I mean Wild West. This is where the people who were uneducated, this is where the people uh, who didn't, uh, I mean, were very, very uncultured moved out. And so there was definitely people that were families and things like that, but it was unbelievably wild. I mean, it was crazy. And so they began to pray for revival. And in Cane Ridge, uh, Kentucky, in 1801, there was a revival meeting that uh, attracted between 10 and 20,000 people to this revival meeting. And, and, and it was across the spectrum of the type of people that were there, including the hardest of, of that society at that time. And uh, uh, it was unbelievable what God did. God poured out his spirit and people got saved in large, large numbers. And one of the most famous stories, now I want you to think about this for a second. These are some of the people who are getting saved are very, very uneducated country type people. The, the main attraction as far as a sport was coon hunting. So you, you have raccoons, all right? And so if you, you, you don't know what this is, so you've got raccoons and uh, either you were release them or they just let the dogs out and go around till they smell one and you release the dogs and the dogs tree a raccoon and then you bring your lantern over and you see the raccoon in the tree and you go oh that's a nice raccoon and you shoot it all right and so so and, and it also makes money you remember think about Davy uh, Crockett wearing a coon skin cap they were incredibly popular and so you could sell uh, the skins of raccoons and make a lot of money and so this was the favorite pastime uh, of, I mean it wasn't just like people participated. People went and watched it like a spectator sport. And so, so now you've getting all of these uh, uneducated kind of earthy people getting saved. And these dogs would tree uh, raccoons at night. And so these people were starting to do that and to kind of make a joke. And they were saying, we've treed the devil. We treed the devil. And they would gather around trees and they would bark and holler like the devil was running from them scared. All right. Now that's just weird. I mean, you, you know, think about it, just everybody, woo 
barking at a tree, being like, we got the devil on the run, all right? And so, so that's what happened. And now not everyone did that, but it did happen at this revival. And it, it's very, I mean, when, when people read the, the, the accounts of this happening back in the Northeast, back in Philadelphia, back in Boston, back in New York, obviously they were making fun of them. They were, it was funny. And so they were like, look at these, these low educated, look at these people and how God is working with them. And they made fun of them until the revival came to them. The revival hit strongest in, at Yale University in Connecticut. Um, the, the president of Yale University was actually the grandson of the great movement uh, founder of the first Great Awakening. His name was Timothy Dwight. Timothy Dwight was one of the smartest men uh, probably ever. His parents, his mom showed him the alphabet when he was two years old, and she showed him once, and he immediately picked it up. When he was four years old, he was reading the entire Old Testament. When he was five years old, they caught him after they were going to bed. They caught him going to their library and reading their books at night. Uh, by the time he was six, he taught himself Latin. I mean, think about that. I mean, I grew up in West Texas. We didn't learn to read till our senior year. And I mean, this guy is... This guy's reading Latin at six, right? And so he goes to Yale University and he's bored because they're reteaching him stuff that he had already learned. Uh, and it kind of goes off the rails for a while, but eventually uh, comes back to Christ, becomes the president of Yale and is praying for revival. And we have this idea that, you know, back, back uh, the days gone by that everyone was just holy and wonderful. Yale and all of the universities at this point were all started uh, to be training grounds for preachers. But, but they had lost that emphasis. <clears throat> and what was happening was, I mean, the students were wild, were literally out of control. And he was praying for them. And all of a sudden, you get this um, uh, revival that comes, and you get these groups of students praying. And uh, in one year, they sent out a, about a dozen preachers. The very next year, they sent out 69. The year after that, they sent out double that. And God began to move among these people. And the reason I tell you this story is because I want you to see how the gospel works in people's lives. The most educated brilliant people of our day were touched by the great awakening by the spirit of god and so were some of the most uneducated earthy people of the world it works god's gospel works across cultures and i didn't know this i i, I read this book years ago and I opened it up uh to reacquaint myself with this uh with this story and uh, the most famous book about the Second Great Awakening was written in 1974. It was written by an author named Stephen Burke. And he was really harsh on the revival. He says that Timothy Dwight at Yale really didn't want uh, God to move among them. Um, he wanted instead, uh, uh, he had some kind of political ambitions is basically what he says and kind of downplays it. But here's in the foreword of the book, here's what he writes. He says, the author, he's talking about himself, wrote this work from a point of view of a non-Christian. So he's basically admitting here, hey, I wrote this, so, uh, you know, kind of de to debunk it. I wrote this to be harsh about it, and I'm a non-Christian, and he admits that. And then he says, however, after having submitted it for publication, he, he's talking about himself, experienced a conversion to uh, evangelical Christianity. In other words, one of the authors wrote, uh, be careful 
what you study. It just might change you. And uh, I love the story of here we've got uh, the most uneducated of the world. Here we've got the most educated of the world. And here 100 years later, or uh, excuse me, that was in 200 years later after that, someone tries to debunk it. And by reading about the revival, they get saved as well. God's work moves moves among people, moves among generations, moves among ethnicities, and he has a powerful, powerful message for you. So what are we going to do in all of this? Well, we don't have a, a, a have an ex, uh, changed vision, but we do have an expanded vision and uh, of what we want. We want to be uh, intentionally multi-ethnic, and how are we going to do that? Let me show you uh, a slide of our, of our connections. Again, we're not, we're not going to change how we do our strategy. We love, we grow, we give, we go, but we are going to make sure that we see it fully. Man, we are going to see it in Sunday morning. We're starting to already see it in Sunday morning. But let me give you a beautiful picture of, uh, of what we're looking for in Sunday morning. Uh, put that uh, verse up there for Revelation 7. Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a picture of the worship service that will happen in heaven. And what they were doing, the Bible says there was multitudes there that they couldn't even number. But the thing that I want to concentrate on is they were there from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. So the, the worship service uh, was, was from people literally from all over the world. And so when we talk about our worship services, our vision is we want to make Sunday look like heaven. We want to make Sunday look like heaven. And we want to see people from every tribe and every language and every tongue. And we want to do that. Now, uh, uh, and so we're going to do that. We're going to see people and we're going to see that our worship service truly, truly looks like heaven. We also, we love, we grow, we give, we go. We want to see people uh, in our lives, in our groups, in our midst um, who are, are uh grew up different than us, who are different ethnicities. Uh, we want to see them in reaching people. And, and especially as we're coming up on Easter, I want you to hear this. Um, our strategy is really, really simple. It's invite people. That's our growth strategy. I mean, we, we advertise some, we do some other things, but our, our, our strategy is, is truly, truly invite people. And so what I want to say to you, if you're new to us or if you've been here forever, go out of your way, especially for Easter. We're right around the corner from Easter, especially for Easter, to invite people and to see what God will do in making us truly, truly multi-ethnic uh, along the ways. God will do great things if you will uh, do that. <clears throat> now, let me read this last section. Verse 39, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. Uh, so the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said since we have heard for ourselves and we know that it really is, uh, that this really is the savior of the world. And so... Uh, she went out and she told people and they went out and they told and they came to hear Jesus and the Bible says many more believe. I mean, it's a biblical principle to go out and invite people. You got to come see Jesus here. 
You got to come see what God is doing here and, and doing that. Now, I used to, I think I used to think about this incorrectly. I used to, and I still do some, pray for influencers. What I love about this text is it doesn't say, and, and Jesus met the mayor of Samaria. Uh, you know, Jesus met uh, the president of the bank or the wealthiest person in town. Jesus met the most unlikely person that you would think he would use to go into a new community. Jesus met someone who had a lot of sin and baggage. And Jesus told her about that. And she came and she said, hey, you know those things that y'all been talking about? Jesus knew about those too. And he's forgiven me. And they come and they see for themselves. So pray not just for the influencers of the community in that way. Pray for an evangelist. Pray for someone who will be sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ that will go into areas uh, with their friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors and bring those people to faith in Jesus Christ. And then we go out and bring our people and we go out and meet new people and we bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Man, that is the power of what happens when this works correctly. And so, uh, and then in verse 38, he says, um, I want you to know that others have been working and you've benefited from their labor. One of the coolest things about when I talk to people about Jesus is seeing how God has worked behind the scenes to bring about the next step. And sometimes I know he's brought me there so that someone else can witness it again later. And so we, we look for that, that God is working behind the scenes to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And that so that they will say, we've heard for ourselves and we know that this really is the savior of the world. And so that's what we're praying for. So uh, I, did, I planned this, but I did not plan it in the sense of uh, planting it. And so I, I meant to do this a while back, and I got distracted. Uh, um, and so I meant to do this. But uh, I want to pray this morning, and I want to lead people to faith in Christ, and I want to pray over you. Uh, but I want to do it very specifically. The Bible says in Revelation 7, every tribe, tongue, language. And so, uh, Angela... I know I'm putting you on the spot, but would you come translate for me? Come on. Y'all say thank you to Angela. And so, uh, so, um, and so, uh, so, uh, Angela has, has been here. We're going to use, hey, we're going to use, uh, Amy's microphone for her. And so I want us to, I want us to hear uh, not just in our language, but in, in others' languages as well. And so we, do you mind? Thank you. I really appreciate it. And so, all right, so let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today. There you go. Amado Dios, te agradecemos por este día. We praise you, God, for those that you are bringing among us. Father, we praise you today that they hear not only in English, but Padre, many in their native language of Spanish. The greatest thing that they can hear in any language is the name of Jesus Christ. En el nombre de Jesucristo. Father, we thank you, God, Padre, te glorificamos. that you came and died on a cross, that you were buried in a grave, que tú fuiste enterrado en esa tumba. that you were resurrected from the dead, Pero que tú resucitaste de la muerte. 
Jesus, that you have ascended into heaven. Jesús, que tú estás en el cielo. And that you will come again one day. Y que tú regresarás un día. To bring every tribe. Y que reinarás en toda tribu. Every language. En cada idioma. Every nation. En cada nación. To live with you forever. Para vivir contigo eternamente. Father, we ask you until that day. Padre, te pedimos que hasta ese día that you would help us to make Sunday look like heaven. Father, we pray that you would help us to preach the gospel. That you would reach those in our community. When they walk in this door, God, that they would find people who love them. People who put their differences lower than the gospel of Christ. And we pray that they would find family. Lord Jesus, we thank you for those who are hearing the gospel. Now, if that's you, whether in English or Spanish, it is your time to respond. It is your time to give your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. Dios te ama. Even in your sin, he saw it and he died for you. Incluso en tu pecado, él murió y vive por ti. He is here to forgive you and adopt you as a son or daughter. Él está listo para recibirte y adoptarte como tu hijo o su hija. If you will ask him into your heart, si tú le preguntas con tu corazón, let him be your Lord. Señor, quiero que tú seas mi Señor. Father, we thank you today. Padre, te agradecemos el día de hoy. That what you are doing today is just the new, the beginning. De lo que tú estás haciendo en este día es simplemente el comienzo. God of bringing us together. Gracias, Señor, por traernos juntos. In Jesus' name. En el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Amen. Amen. Y'all stand. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.